0: What is time, besides one of the most commonly used measurement systems that we know almost nothing about? It's about time we figure it out.
1: This call is now being recorded.
0: All right. It's about time we introduce our guest. He's a computer scientist who is 75% retired. And he says maybe if you guys stop bugging him, he'll uh, be able to get fully retired soon enough. He's, he has over 30 years' experience in software development, data communication, systems, designs, and teaching. He also has over 20 years' experience researching calendar systems, which makes him one of the world's foremost experts on the subject. He's the author of the book Julius and Gregor, which is in Danish, and he also consulted on a U.S. school textbook on the subject of calendars. So let's welcome our guest for the day, Klaus Tondering. Welcome, Klaus. And you know, actually, I'm sorry, I uh, didn't check the pronunciation of your last name. Is Tundering correct?
1: Uh, tundering is fine. And Danish is Tundering, and I don't expect you to
0: say that. So Tundering is fine. <laughs> Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for being with us today. So I guess the first question is, uh, when did you get into calendar systems and why?
1: Well, ever since I was a little kid, I've been interested in, in tables and ways to calculate things and stuff like that. And I remember when I was maybe, I don't know, seven or eight years old, my father showed me a uh, a a table that allowed you to calculate the day of the week for any date between something like 1700 and the year 2000. Um, That was back in the early 1960s, so the year 2000 was way into the future when we'd all have flying cars and things like that. (laughs) So uh, so, um, he showed me that, and I was fascinated by this. And I started calculating oh when was when uh, my grandparents' birthdays when uh, when was that and and what day of the week were they born that mm-hmm. fascinated me no end and I, sort of that interest sort of they dormant for several years as I grew well, up. I occasionally read a bit about calendars uh, but then we had to to uh, fast forward to the um, early 1990s. Uh, Back then, this was the early days of the Internet when when everybody had, uh, when when few people were on the Internet and those who were used sort of dialog nodes and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, there was something then called Usenet, U-S-E-N-E-T, Usenet. It still exists actually, but it's not very much used anymore. Usenet was a, collection of uh, bulletin boards, online bulletin boards, uh, where you could discuss everything from uh, scientific topics to, to, to uh, political topics to, to uh, well, basically anything that interested you. And it was completely decentralized. Uh, and um, it was actually a treasure trove of information, and uh, whenever you wanted to know something, you just go and ask and use it, and somebody would be an expert and uh, post, a quest- or post an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were questions that got asked over and over again, so um, it quickly became common to, to have on these bulletin boards a collection, collections of frequently asked questions about various topics. And, uh, at some stage I noticed that there was no collection of frequently asked questions about calendars. Mm-hmm. So I say, why don't I make that? Mm-hmm. So I started compiling information. And, uh, this was then in, uh, this would have been the mid-1990s. Uh, and, um in the, the I made this this collection of, of, of the questions about calendars and it became very popular. I was inundated with emails about uh, further questions people wanted to, to ask me and uh, corrections to information I had posted. Um, I was rather naive then in, in, in that I believed that uh, it, it was possible to know answers to many of these questions know, definite answers to many of these questions. I have later learned that when you deal with things that are often ancient history, there are no certain answers and just a lot of guesswork. Mm. But um, this um, collection of frequent asked questions lived on for, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so. And um, eventually Usenet started dying out. Uh, I believe it still exists, but I, I haven't heard about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I moved the list of, of, of questions to, to the Internet, to, to a website on the Internet, where it resides to this day. Gotcha. And uh, the subject just sort of grew on me. It, it, for, for every new piece of information I, I, I uncovered, there, was, there were more questions to be asked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, well, that's sort of the... the um, the background for all of this
0: you know i uh i find it interesting that it was such a popular subject for people to uh, help you go down the rabbit hole so to speak because whenever i talk to people about time and calendars it always sparks some interest in them and why do you think that is you know why is it why are we all so fascinated by time and calendars and why we have this system as it is I think it's
1: because it's, a, uh, it's something we're confronted with every day. Every time somebody asks you what date is today, you're forced to, to uh, make statements within a certain framework consisting of years and months and weeks and dates and so on and so forth. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so you're, you're faced with it several times every day. And uh, um, it doesn't take long before people start uh, to wonder, why are the months called what they are? Why do they have different lengths? Why is February so short? Why do we have leap years and so on and so forth? Because Mm -hmm. we're all uh, confronted with this information on a daily basis. So so I think it's it's, it's only natural that we start wondering.
0: Nice. Yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, In your website, and uh, I'll post a link for everybody listening out there, um, it goes through some different iterations of calendars and the history of the calendar. And uh, I guess it starts off on the basis of astronomical observation, you know, of uh, Earth rotating around the sun. So can you go through the three different units you talk about, uh, the solar year, the lunar month, and then the 19-year solar cycle? Sure. Sure.
1: Sure. Um. Virtually every calendar system in the world is based on some kind of astronomical observation uh, either the sun or the moon or both uh, We all know that the uh, the seasons follow the the um, how the the earth moves r- with respect to the sun so so the concept of the year uh, has always been important to people for, for Agricultural reasons uh, the thing is that that, that exactly to, to exactly define what a year is is actually not quite simple because um, the the earth rotates on its axis as it moves around the sun, so uh, well the whole dif- uh, starting with, with, with defining what is a day is it the time from when a position on the Earth points to the Sun, to the next time the same precision points to the Sun? Or is it the time uh, from when a uh, position on the Earth points to a particular object in the sky, say a star, to the next time it does so? Because of the movement of the, the uh, Earth, uh, those two values are not identical. So, so you end up with, with, with um, different definitions of what a year is. Uh, Similarly, uh, based on the moon, they uh, end up with different definitions of of what a month is. Mm -hmm. But for calendrical purposes, what you get is the time it takes from the earth uh, to be in a particular position relative to the sun, to the next time that happens is called a tropical year, and it's 365.24 something days. Now the moon moves around the Earth, but it also moves with the Earth around the Sun. So when you study the moon again, you have to distinguish between uh, when you say how long it takes from, uh, for the moon to, to orbit the Earth. Do you really mean that, or do you mean the time from when you see a particular phase of the moon till you see that phase again? Uh, and for um, for calendrical purposes, what you're talking about there, what you're interested is Is a time from, say, one new moon to the next new moon, or from one full moon to the next full moon. And that is called a synodic month, which is approximately 29 and a half days. Finally, um, by a stroke of luck, pure coincidence, it turns out that 19 years corresponds almost to an integral number of Uh, synodic months, so that uh, every time the Earth has orbited the sun 19 times, you have gone through the phases of the moon 235 times. Hmm. This helps in uh, coordinating various um, calendrical relationships between the sun and the moon. In particular, this is important for calculating Easter which is based not only on the sun, but also
0: on the moon. Right, right. So, uh yeah, let's kind of get into the Christian calendar real quick. Uh Well, I it might not be real quick. It's the most important one. so. Right. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but the basis of the Christian calendar right now, our iteration, was created in the 1580s, And that was a revision of a calendar that was updated in the 45 or 42 B.C. or so. And then that was a revision on a calendar created in ancient Rome. Correct,
1: correct. That's correct. Uh, And here we get into the really murky waters of of ancient history because our information about the the Roman calendar is uh, very sporadic. Uh, one of the best sources we have is a, a Roman writer called Macrobius who wrote in the, I believe it was the 5th century AD, which means that he was several hundred years after the event. Hmm. Hmm. And he's the guy who provides most of the information we have about the ancient Roman calendar. So, so the obvious question there is how much, to what degree can we actually trust what he writes? Mm-hmm. But, but it's the best we can do. Um, but yeah, the, the the ancient Romans had a uh, a calendar that was somewhat similar to to, to what we have today. Uh, what I'm saying now is, is to some degree conjecture. We we, we don't know for sure. Uh, but, but but if you'll allow me to do a bit of guessing, mm-hmm. their um, their original calendar only had ten months. Starting from March and going to December, and you can see that in uh, the uh, names for the month. If you, for example, the word December comes from Latin decem, or decem, uh, which means ten. So it was originally the tenth month. Mm-hmm. They only had months from March to December because the time uh, from uh, the, the winter time, which came after December, was not relevant when. when um, in, in a farming community. You didn't sow anything. You didn't harvest anything. You just waited for winter to pass. Hmm. So they, they sort of, they started the year in March. They went on through to, to December, and then they just sat and waited for spring to come along without really counting the dates in between. Interesting. And then, then at some stage, they uh, decided they had to add some, uh, a couple of extra months between December and March. So January and February were added, and that's Probably, and I say probably, the reason February is so short that there were only so many days left uh, when they reached February. Uh, uh.
0: Um,
1: Anyway, uh, this went on for some time, and they started having some rules about when to have leap years. Uh, But it was really a mess. Um, The thing was that um, there was a superstition in ancient Rome that a leap year was uh, was, um, unlucky. So you didn't want Libyans when the country was at war, for example. Uh, and also, uh, if you were a rich, prison, uh, rich person and you were uh, sent to prison, you didn't want your time in prison to uh, compress, uh, comprise any Libyans because that would make your prison sentence longer. <laughs> so if you were rich, you could bribe uh, the authorities to omit Libyans.
0: Oh, nice. So That's to convenient. shorten your
1: prison sentence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> So so, so this this was really a mess. Uh, 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 The calendar drifted with respect to the seasons. Mm -hmm. And and that's how Julius Caesar in in, in 45 BC uh, rectified this. He introduced uh, the first really strict calendar in in ancient Rome uh, by fixing it to have 365 or 366 days. But Uh, providing strict rules about when was a leap year. Um, And um, this is sort of, with very few modifications, this is the calendar we still use today. So it's more than 2,000 years old. Okay. Um, So this started in in, in 45 BC. And this went on very well for several hundred years. His rules about uh, leap year were not quite accurate. His rules were that every fourth year should be a leap year. And um, this is good but not ideal because it means that you actually, the calendar actually drifts one day over the course of 133 years. Hmm. So um, by the time we reached the end of the Middle Ages, the calendar had drifted something like 10 days with respect to the, the seasons. And that's what then happened in, in the uh, 1580s that the Catholic Church under Pope Gregory the Thirteenth, decreed that there were to be some modifications to the calendar, specifically to the leap year rules, uh, rather than having every fourth year leap year, uh, we only wanted 97 leap years every 400 years. So they were to admit three leap years every 400 years. Mm. And that's the system we use today. That's what is known as the Gregorian calendar after Pope Gregory the Thirteenth, who who um, supervised the the introduction
0: of, of that calendar. Gotcha. So Julius Caesar, he kind of set the the months and he set the structure yeah. of the calendar system that we're using today still. Correct. But when did the week come into play? Because I mean, they weren't using a seven-day week in Julius Caesar's time, right? that's directly from the Judeo-Christian...
1: Probably not. I, I, I have read that the week was known in ancient Rome before the advent of Christianity, but mm-hmm. I, I haven't uh, seen any reliable sources for confirming that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the week, as we know it today, is, of course, something we have from Christianity, something we have from uh, Judaism. It's... Uh, in the very first pages of the Bible, where you hear that, that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the origin, or at least one uh, of the, the, the presumed origins of the of the, um, the seven-day week. Mm-hmm. And, and for the Jews, this became a uh, a sacred rhythm. Uh, resting every seventh day on the Sabbath became very, very important to them. And uh, this was then uh, inherited by the Christians, and as Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire, uh, the concept of the week was merged into the Julian calendar, so that we have this pattern of uh, seven days, the seven-day cycle that runs independently Uh, of the days and the months of of the Julian calendar. Uh, This seven-day cycle has never been interrupted, strangely. Um, When uh, Pope Gregory made his um, reform in in the 1500s, he dropped some days from the calendar, uh, but not from the week. So uh, it is highly likely that, that these, our, our seven-day cycles have run uninterrupted for more than 3,000 years.
0: Wow, wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> that is pretty impressive. I, I mean, yeah. I'm
1: thinking at least back to the days of Moses, which was something like uh, 1400 B.C. or something.
0: Wow. And uh, so just a, a quick aside, um, on your website, I saw something that was kind of interesting to me where you said the Christian year is based off the solar 365-day year. The Islamic year is based off of the lunar synodic months. But the Jewish calendar is a combination of both of those. So that's that's kind of interesting that there's three different religions from the same origins and beginnings, but we've all kind of branched off and started counting time different ways. Do you know any reason behind the different timekeeping systems of those three religions?
1: My guess would be that, that uh, the, the Jewish system keeping track of both the, the uh, solar and the lunar year is the original one. Mm. Uh, it's in a, a, a primitive society where you don't have accurate clocks and so on, uh, you rely on the sun and the moon to help you with the timekeeping. Mm. So it's natural to have a year based on the sun to to, uh, keep track of the uh, seasons and then to have months based on the moon so that every time you have a new moon, you start a new month. Mm. That's sort of the the simple way to do it. And then you run into the problem that the number of months in a year is not an integral number. There is something like 12 months and 11 days in a year, if you uh, define a month to be the the time from one new moon to the next. So you have to either devise some complicated rules for uh, making some years 13 months and some years 12 months to make it all fit, and that's what the Jewish calendar does. Or you can discard one of the two, Uh, In the Christian calendar, the normal calendar we use, we have discarded the link between the moon and the months. Hmm. In the Islamic calendar, they have discarded the link between the year and the sun. Hmm. Um, So, uh, this means that the Islamic calendar is consistently something like 11 days shorter than our uh, our year. Every, Every Islamic year is 11 days shorter than our year.
0: So that's why sometimes they're observing Ramadan in summer and then sometimes in winter. Exactly. All right. And uh, so back off the aside and back to the week a little bit, could you go through the weekday names and how they're correlated to the seven planets of antiquity? Uh, I think that's pretty interesting, too, you know, where people are always asking, you know, what is a wednes, you know? (laughs) What is that all about?
1: What is it indeed, yes. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, the thing is that the days of the week, the name for the days of the week, vary greatly from one uh, language to another. Uh, But in in the Latin-based languages such as Italian and French and Spanish, and to some degree, in the Germanic languages, such as English and German and Danish, uh, we have based the names of the days of the month on the celestial bodies known in antiquity. That is the sun and the moon and the planets Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, which are the planets you can see with the naked eye. Mm. Um, Monday, you you almost hear it in English, Monday is really moon day, Mm -hmm. named after the moon. Saturday is named after Saturn, of course, and Sunday after the sun. Mm -hmm. That leaves you with Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Now, to to understand how they got their names, you have to uh, look at the the Latin names, uh, or or the names you find in French, or Italian, or Spanish, uh, for those days. Uh, Take in French, for example, Tuesday is called Mardi, that is Mars day, named after Mars. Uh, Wednesday is Mercredi, that is Mercury day. Thursday is Jeudi, or Jupiter day, and Friday is Vendredi, or Venus day. Hmm. So you have Mars day, Mercury day, Jupiter day, and Venus day for Tuesday through Friday. Now, what happened in England, or in, the, in Northern Europe in general, was that the uh, ancient Roman gods, who had given name to the planets, uh, were replaced with Nordic Norse gods. Uh, for example, um, it, it, Mars was replaced by, by the uh, Nordic or Anglo-Saxon god tiu that became, so Mars Day became Tuesday or Tuesday. Hmm. Uh, Mercury was replaced by Woden or Odin, hmm. uh, ancient Norse god. So uh, Mercury's Day became Woden's Day or Wednesday. Generally gotcha. Jupiter's Day became, uh, Jupiter became Thor, so it became Thor's Day or Thursday. And finally, uh, Venus. The the, uh, the goddess Venus was replaced by the goddess Frigg from Nordic mythology, so Venus Day became Frigg's Day or, or Friday. So that's what, how we have them today.
0: That's interesting. You know, that's interesting, and uh, it makes sense that Venus is a Friday because the weekend is beautiful. You know? all... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. So uh, why is I, I, so I grew up with the planets being Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, why in antiquity are the planets all jumbled up from that perspective?
1: Uh, yeah, well, well, the reason is, of course, that, that uh, in antiquity they believed that the Earth was the center of the universe. And the other things circled around the Earth uh um, so, so uh, the, the, order, the order they had, the, the planets there, was that uh, closest to the Earth you had the Moon. Um, then came Mercury and Venus, and then the Sun, and then Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, mm. in that order. And um, this means that, um, it, well, the order of, was, of course, different for, from uh, from what we have today because of the change in, in, in perspective. But that still doesn't match the order in which the uh, days of the week have been named. And there is some speculation about how that might be. If you order the planets, uh, as they, the, in, in the order they were seen in antiquity, order them in a circle, and then cast out at one uh, place, say, say um, the moon for Monday, and you count 24 uh, planets going around in a circle, uh, 24 for um, the number of hours in a day, you will hit Mars, which corresponds to Tuesday. Count another 24 uh, hours, and you will hit uh, Mercury, which corresponds to Wednesday, and so on.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Uh, That's one theory. It is nothing more than a theory. It is perhaps a bit contrived, and you could argue that that is just a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is, we don't know.
0: Well, you know, we always welcome speculation here, because, you know, uh, what what's better? <laughs> I, uh, I also saw something interesting about the Soviet Union experimented with a five-day week or a six-day week for about a decade or two. Uh,
1: yes. Um, they... Uh, one of the, the, the things they wanted to do in the Soviet Union was to make make sure that you always had people working in the industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, the concept of a, a day of rest sort of disrupted that. At the same time, they wanted to get rid of anything that linked to uh, to religion, so, so anything Christian or uh, Jewish, they wanted to get rid of. So in the uh, – uh, around 1930, they uh, gradually introduced a five-day week, week. Uh, which was, I suppose, good enough. You'd work for four days and then have a day off, which is, is pretty nice. Mm-hmm. The thing was that uh, the, the day that, that people had off um, was not the same for everybody. Somebody had the first day off, others had the second day off, and so on and so forth. So there would always be people working. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this didn't go too well, and uh, they, they soon changed it to a six-day week uh, with a fixed day of rest for some reason. Uh, on a particular day of the month, and eventually they gave up the whole thing, and in 1940, after 10 years of experimenting, they just returned to the normal same day week.
0: Hmm. And there's another calendar reform I was intrigued by, which is called the French Revolutionary Calendar. Could you go into that a little bit and how that came about? Sure.
1: Uh, The French Revolution in in, in the late 1700s uh, wasn't anything – it was a horrible thing, but, but uh, one of the things they really wanted to do was to make everything <coughs> mathematically simple. Um, the metric system was brand new at that time with its based uh, everything being base 10, which makes it very simple to work with. Um, they wanted to make everything as simple as that. So they introduced, for example, uh, a day divided into 10 hours. Hmm. So the, and, Hours again divided into 100 minutes or 100 seconds. Uh, th- that was not a success. Uh, and they also uh, wanted to reform the calendar again to, to uh, distance themselves from uh, from anything Christian. Unfortunately, they, they they had a problem there that um, they were uh, forced to to, to acknowledge that the Earth rotates around the Sun in in, in 365 uh, and a quarter days. Couldn't force uh, the Earth to move uh, around the Sun in 100 days, or although I'm sure they would have preferred that. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, they couldn't make make the uh, quite decimal. What they did was that they introduced 12 months of 30 days each, which would make every month uh, the same, this left them with five or six extra days, uh, which they added to the end of the year to uh, bring the turtle to 365 or 66, depending on whether it was a year or not. Hmm. And then the, the months were divided, the, the 30 days of each month were divided into ten, three weeks of 10 days each. So you have the first 10 days, the second 10 days, and the first 10 days of, of each month was considered a week. For obvious reasons, this was not very popular. It meant that, that, that there were now nine days between each day of rest rather than six. <laughs> yeah. uh, if you're a politician, that's not a good way to, uh, to treat your nation. So, so that, was not, that was not very popular. Mm-hmm. The, um, they also started uh, counting the years differently. Rather than counting from the, the, the birth of Christ, They started counting years from the uh, foundation of the uh, French Republic in uh, 1792. Mm. Uh, But they never got further than the year 14, which corresponds roughly to 1805, before the whole project was abandoned.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, I don't know. It seems much more complicated. I mean, I understand the metric system. That seems more simplified. But uh, this doesn't really do the trick.
1: It doesn't. I mean, no. once you're tied to specific events in the world, such as the, the time it takes the Earth to, to move around the sun, you can't really force a particular number down. You're, you're forced to, to, to follow whatever nature di- nature dictates you to do, and that's part of their problem.
0: It also seems like just having five or six days at the end of the year destroys the the whole point of the system having... Consistency,
1: absolutely.
0: Yes. So uh, let's see. You're a computer scientist, and I just had a quick question about why does time start in January 1970 according to computer science?
1: Well, it's not according to computer science. It's according <laughs> according to to uh, uh, certain computer operating systems mm-hmm. around okay. 1970. Uh, there was a lot of work uh, on a, a new computer operating system called Unix. U n i x. Unix. Unix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, constructed in um, AT&T Bell Labs in America, and um, they needed a simple way to count time. Uh, it, it's very good for uh, for people, for humans, to to, to have to deal with for years, months, and days. But for, for computers, it's really much more simple if you can just simply count one, two, three, four, five, uh, and then go on forever. Mm. So they decided that uh, instead of keeping track of uh, minutes, seconds, days, and so on and so forth, they would simply count seconds from a fixed point in time. And since they started this around 1970, they decided that, well, let's say midnight January 1st, 1970 uh, UTC, uh, green screen time. That would be our starting point. And they started counting seconds from there. It was very simple to have a computer do that. Just every second, increment the counter. Mm. Don't worry about days. Don't worry about uh, months and years and leap years and so on and so forth. Just increment the counter by one every second. Mm -hmm. Then whenever you have to actually communicate with, with humans, you can always convert this counter to a, a more human-friendly version. But it's very simple for computers to just count. And uh, at present, uh, we have reached a value for that counter around one and a half billion. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the rough, roughly one and a half billion seconds have today passed since January 1st,
0: 1970.
1: Wow. Um And it still works fine. They used it in the Unix operating system. They now use it also in the Windows operating system and in the uh, iOS for Mac. It's the pure simplicity of simply counting seconds is is so very nice. The problem is that um, in a few years' time, it's in two thousand 36 or 38, I don't remember exactly. 2038 or 2036. In most computers, this counter runs out. They use something called a, a, a 32-bit uh, signed integer to count this, which means that there is an upper limit to how far you can count. And you reach the end of its range in... Uh, 18 or 20 years' time, wow. which means at that time, the counter will wrap around, and suddenly you'll find yourself in 1904, <laughs> which could be a problem. Mm-hmm. But by then, I'll be well into my 80s, so I won't worry too much about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> problem for somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it, it kind of sounds like the whole Y2K crisis all over again.
1: Indeed, and and it could very well be worse, because the the, the good thing about the Y2K thing was that everybody understood the problem. Everybody Mm -hmm. understands that we may have a problem when we shift the last two digits from 99 to Mm 00. But this is much more esoteric. You have to know about this particular strange uh, timekeeping system in computers. You have to know about 32-bit signed integers, which is a, a, a... again, a rather esoteric thing to, to, to know about, it's very difficult to explain to the men in the street what the problem actually is, mm-hmm. which means wow. that it wow. could easily get less focused than the Y2K problem uh, did.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I, I'm just painting a very deep picture here. So, um, Well, yes, it could very well be the same thing again.
0: Yeah. And so if this is the underlying timekeeping system in Windows systems and other operating systems... I mean, that's almost half of computer systems worldwide. All right. All right. Yeah. Wow. Well, we had 18 years to solve the problem, but... <laughs> <we're not. laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'm in your boat, and I'm going to leave it to someone else and uh, just hope for the best.
1: Right.
0: And uh, for all of our listeners out there, Klaus is coming to us from the great nation of Denmark, which hasn't gone through daylight savings yet. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. In, in, in Europe, we uh, change on, on uh, the last Sunday of March, which oh. is the, uh, March 31st this year, so it's the latest it can ever be this year. Yes. Actu- but actually, this may be the last time we do it because the uh, European Union has decided that maybe daylight savings time is too much of a hassle,
0: mm.
1: and uh, they may very well decide to give it up entirely.
0: I, you know, I can get behind that because it's too much, you know, waking up an hour early or an hour later, twice a year. It's just a mess.
1: Uh, I love the long summer evenings. Right. right. I'm sorry to see it go, but that's just a personal opinion. Well,
0: yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask, if uh, you would keep the longer days or if you're going to go back to standard time. An open
1: question. Politicians are, are, are discussing it and, um, The thing is, it's best to coordinate it with with, with our neighboring countries, and that makes it even more difficult.
0: (laughs) Yeah, who's got the time for that? Exactly. (laughs) So that's all we have uh, for you today, but uh, thanks again for joining us, Klaus Tonoring. I hope someone can uh, figure out the 2038 problem and uh, daylight savings so you can enjoy your retirement. It's been a pleasure being here. So there you have it, folks. Time. Easy as pie. No need for another podcast on this at all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll be coming at you every single Pluto day, giving you another great interview with another interesting individual about how they view time. Until then, check out the thenewcalendar.com and maybe you can learn how to get time on your side. My name's Tom Sherman. I appreciate you listening if you've got any uh, suggestions, questions, comments, concerns, give me a shout. My email is tom at the new